Thank you so much for that prayer this morning, John. Well, this morning we are going to celebrate the Lord's Supper together, always a sacred time and should be for every church family when um, they share communion together. And to prepare our hearts, we are going to continue in our series on the attributes of God. And this morning we are going to look at the wisdom of God, the wisdom of God. And we are going to look at a very familiar passage of scripture and it's found in Isaiah chapter 55 and verses eight and nine. That will be our main passage. We will look at a number of passages, but that will be our main passage. Let me read that for you as we begin. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Well, our first point this morning is the wisdom of God. The wisdom of God means that God always pursues the highest possible good by the highest possible means. God always pursues the very best. And he always pursues it by the very best path, the very best means. Now, most often when we talk about wisdom in a church setting, it is the wisdom that we want. Our wisdom or excuse me, God's wisdom versus the wisdom of the world, um, the wisdom that we long for from God. And that is a good thing. We should preach and teach on our wisdom because, in, for example, in the book of Proverbs, we are exhorted, we are implored to seek wisdom, to pursue wisdom, to watch daily at God's doors longing for his wisdom. But what we are talking about this morning is slightly different. This is the wisdom of God. This isn't us pursuing wisdom. It is just looking at this, excuse me, this attribute of God, his great wisdom. That God always pursues what is best And he always does it by the best, highest possible means. And when we go through times of suffering, which inevitably we all will, when we go through times of testing and trials, we must firmly have embedded in our hearts and minds that God always does what is best and he always does it by the best possible means. As I have shared with you many times, we don't trust God because we understand what he is doing. We trust God because of who he is. We often don't understand what God is doing In fact, I will go so far this morning to say we most often don't understand what God is doing in our lives. And so we're going to look right away at our main passage. 
And I know that many of you have, are very familiar with this passage. Probably there are a lot of you here this morning that have memorized this passage. But I want you to look at it with fresh eyes this morning, with a fresh heart this morning. Because it is so important to all of us. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. So if you don't understand something God is doing in your life, it's because your thoughts are not his thoughts, your ways are not his ways. When you watch the news and you don't understand why God would allow this, or what God is doing in that specific circumstance, you don't know. You trust him. You trust him. My thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways. And for as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. When God says, as far as the heavens are higher than the earth, that is both a literal and metaphorical way of God saying to each of you, my ways and my thoughts are infinitely greater than yours. And we are to grasp, because it's so critical to our daily walk with God every single day, that God is great and awesome and majestic and transcendent and we are so small, so minute, so tiny. He is the God of wisdom. The highest goal or the highest end of God is always his own glory, and the good of his people. If you remember nothing else this morning, that's what I want you to remember. The highest goal of God is always the pursuit of his own glory and the good of his people. And I hope to prove to you this morning, that's in a sense where I'm heading, that God's glory is always your greatest good. God's glory is always your greatest good. God is doing all things, everywhere, all the time, to promote his own glory. God is passionate about his own glory. God is purposeful to magnify his name and his own glory above all things. And that is what God is doing in the world. Right now, if we were to ask that question, what is God doing in the world right now? We could give a number of biblical answers. But if you want the big flyover, you want the big picture of what God is doing in the world, excuse me, in the universe right now, he is pursuing his own glory. That's what God is all about. 
We have used this verse a number of times in this series, Romans 11.33, where Paul cries out, Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. Oh, the depth of the infinite riches and the infinite wisdom and the infinite knowledge of God. Colossians chapter 2, verse 3, speaking specifically about Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I have always been so fascinated by that verse that in Jesus, in Jesus himself, are hidden all the treasures, not some of them, not most of them, but all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. They're found in Jesus. Do you know where to find wisdom? Do you know where to find knowledge? It's found in him. Job 12, verse 13, with God our wisdom and might, he has counsel and understanding. God is wisdom. God is might. And I really want us to grasp something this morning, and it's something that the last couple of weeks we have been really honing in on, really hitting in our Wednesday night men's Bible study. We have been talking about the fact that God gives us his commandments, his precepts, his teaching for our good, for our joy, that as we obey God, that as we pursue him, we find a joy that cannot be found or experienced in anything else in this existence, in this world. So I say that to you because, and if you've never grasped this before, it is so important, the pursuit of God's glory gives you your greatest joy. Even, even right in the middle of your suffering and pain and trials. When you find that in the worst circumstances of your life, you have great joy in God himself, in Christ himself. That all the stuff and things of this life cannot possibly compare to the joy that you find in him. We think, and I've shared this with you many times before, the Westminster Shorter Catechism. The chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Don't miss that second part. The chief end of your life, the chief end of your life is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. I think of that famous quote from John Piper where he says, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. And I would take that a step further to say that when we are most satisfied in him, we find our greatest joy. So remember that. 
Every day, you glorify God, he gives you joy. You glorify God, he gives you joy. A joy that you cannot find or experience anywhere else. So wisdom and glory are often related because the highest end of wisdom is the glory of God. Okay, you will often find wisdom and the glory of God together because the highest possible end of God's wisdom is his own glory. And so for us, the wisest choice we can always make in any decision is to glorify God. To ask ourselves, what will most magnify him? And this is a fundamental issue in Christian decision-making, in discipleship. Because there are many areas of life where we make decisions where there isn't a specific verse we can say that, that answers it. So if I have a purchase to make, if I have a career decision to make, if it is some other decision that I am wrestling with, the question we should ask first and foremost, what will most glorify and honor God? What will most glorify and honor God? Because when God is most glorified, he brings the greatest good to his people. So that's what the wisdom of God is. It is God always choosing the highest end and the best possible means to that end, and that end is the pursuit of his own glory. That is the wisdom of God. So I want to look at the wisdom of God displayed in some different areas to help us grasp this truth. First of all, the wisdom of God is on display in his majestic creation of the universe. Think about the wisdom of God in creating the world that we live in. The sheer genius of God that is put on display in creation itself. Because, if you're with me this morning, God has created everything for his glory. Everywhere you look, God has created what he's created for his own glory. Psalm 19.1, the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. It's not on the screen, but Romans 1 verse 20, for his invisible attributes namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. Think about it. God's eternal power and divine nature are clearly seen in the things that have been made. And then Paul says, so that we are all without excuse. God's wisdom in creation is the pursuit and magnification of his own glory, that his greatness would be seen, that his grandeur as God would be put on display in the works of his hands. 
I think of that quote by John Calvin. I love this quote. I don't, it's not going to be on the screen, but John Calvin once said this, the entire universe is a theater to showcase the glory of God. That is so true. The entire universe is a theater to showcase the glory of God. So how does God bring about his glory, his greatest glory in creation? What would most showcase his power, his awesomeness, his wisdom? You know what it would be? It would be for God to say, let there be light and there is light. It would be for God on six consecutive days with perfect order and dis- design according to his inscrutable wisdom to create everything out of nothing. Oh, what wisdom. To speak, and it is, to speak, and it is created. It brings great glory to God, and his wisdom is on display in the fact that he spoke all of creation into existence out of nothing. Think about God's creation. Oh, this is a sermon in itself. The beauty of God's creation. We marvel when we look into the skies at the gorgeous sunrise or the gorgeous sunset or the full moon or a clear night just filled with millions, if not billions, of stars. The diversity of the animal kingdom all over the world. So many varieties and kinds with beautiful, beautiful color. We think of the different regions of the world. South America is different from Africa that's different from Asia that's different from Antarctica. They're all different. You ever thought about the variety in God's weather? Some places on the earth are really cold. And some places are really hot. And some places are mild. Do you ever marvel at God's wisdom and creation in the little things? Like right now, the changing of the seasons? On time, every year, it's always on time. And that God can take dead leaves and make them so beautiful. Orange, red, brilliant color. We travel miles to go on color tours to observe dead leaves (laughs) that are so beautiful. And they are. Do you ever... Maybe it's the way my mind works, but I think just of little things. We get a heavy rain. Almost always, always it's followed by pretty strong winds. Why is that? Because God's drying it up. He is so wise in all of his creation. Only an infinitely wise God could do all this. You know, we come to the end of the book of Job. And Job's complaining to God. And Job is questioning God. And God says to Job, where were you when I created the world? I can't seem to remember where you were, Job. 
when I created everything. Do you know what God's saying to Job? Do you know what he's saying to Job at the end of it all? He is saying, Job, my thoughts are not your thoughts. And my ways are not your ways, Job. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. So we see God's wisdom on display in creation. Our second point is God's providence and salvation. God's wisdom is not only on display in creation, God's wisdom is on display in his providential guidance of world history and our individual lives. All the events of history and all of the events of the world right now, right now, are being guided by the providential hand of God for his glory. Okay, all the events of history, all the events in the world right now, right now, are being guided by the providential hand of God for his glory. The book of Revelation shows us the end. There is coming a day when Jesus is going to return with the army of heaven and he's going to defeat and destroy all of his enemies and he's going to set up his millennial kingdom and then that is going to give way to the new heavens and the new earth. And folks, I want you to understand that everything, everything that is happening right now, everything that has been happening throughout history is leading us to that end. God is providentially, wisely guiding all of the events of history and right now in our world to his end for his greatest glory. But not only in the world, but in your life. Do you ever think that God's timing in your life is always perfect? Think about it. God ordained the time when you would be born. God ordained the place where you would be born. God formed your entire genetic structure before you were born. Psalm 139. For you formed my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. Ha. I praise you. I praise you, God, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. And so are every one of you. Every single one of you here this morning, every single one of you watching by live stream are fearfully and wonderfully made. God knew what part of the world you would live in. God knew who the people around you would be, who your teachers would be, who your friends will be, all under the providence and wisdom of God's design, all for his glory. And again, I say to you, and this is not easy, even the trials in your life come under the scrutiny of his sovereignty and have the perfect wisdom of God. God knows exactly what you need in every part of your life, in every season of your life. He knows how to humble us. 
He knows when to prune us. He knows when we need to have our faith deepened. He knows how to nurture us. He knows when to develop us. He knows when to wean us spiritually. He knows how to draw us closer to himself. He knows how to conform us more into the image of his son. And so God, with perfect wisdom, uses trials and adversities for the good purpose of his to conform us to be just like Jesus. Because folks, when we become more like Jesus, God is glorified and we get joy. When we become more like Jesus, God is glorified and we get joy. Think of Joseph in the book of Genesis. Think about all that he went through, sold into slavery by his own brothers, taken down to Egypt, abandoned, forsaken, Potiphar's wife making advances, suffering unjustly, being thrown, in, being thrown into prison, being released, and then being exalted by God. And through all of that adversity, And all of that difficulty, we read this in Genesis 50. They meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. Remember that in every trial and in every adversity of your life, that God can use even evil and even trials and even suffering to bring about the greatest good in our lives. So we see God's wisdom on display in creation in his providence. But the greatest display of God's wisdom that this world has ever seen or ever will see is in the salvation purchased for us at the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. And not simply wise in letting Jesus go to the cross, but wise in the fact that the power of the cross saves sinners. That's the wisdom of God. Only God could design a plan of salvation like we read about in Scripture. I was reading some thoughts by Stephen Lawson, and he said this, and I just wanted to share it with you. He said, If all of us were to meet in a room for the next 10,000 years, we could never come up with a more brilliant, stunning, yet simple, profound plan of salvation. That God the Father would commission the second person of the Godhead, the eternal Son of the living God, to be born of a virgin. That he would enter the human race and yet be without sin. What wisdom is this? That he would be sentenced to death upon a cross, the cross being the most shameful, horrific death that anyone could ever suffer, that he would go to the cross, the prince of peace, the prince of life, that he would be lifted up on a cross, that he who knew no sin would become sin for us. Oh, what genius. What a genius God is. What wisdom that all of our sins would be transferred to Christ and that he would bear our sins in his body, on the tree, on the cross, that he would become a curse for us up on the cross, that he would shed his blood, and that in the shedding of his blood, we, we would be cleansed of all of our sins, our sins laid upon him, the Lamb of God. 
who takes away the sins of the world. And that upon that cross, he would pay the entire, the entire debt of our sin. He would cry out, it is finished, paid in full. He would be taken down from that cross and placed in a borrowed tomb. And on the third day, God would raise him from the dead. He would walk out of that tomb, a risen, living, victorious Savior, and all authority in heaven and on earth would be given unto him, and whoever, whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord would be saved. What a wise plan of salvation God has designed. My sins would be paid for by an innocent substitute. He would suffer in my place. He would bear my sins. He would suffer the wrath of God that I should have experienced. It would fall upon him instead of me. He would say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So that, so that I might have an intimate, saving, personal relationship with God through his son. There is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, the testimony born at just the right time. That, folks, is the wisdom of God. No one says it better than the holy inspired words of the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 1, verses 23 through 25. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles, but to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Christ crucified the power of God, and the wisdom of God. As we go to communion this morning, I want you to meditate deeply on the great wisdom of God in purchasing your salvation. And if you're here this morning, and if you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, I want you to know you can do that right here, right now, during this communion service. We give you a time of meditation and reflection. In the back of your bulletin, we explain how you personally, individually can receive Christ as your Savior. If you're with us for the first time this morning, one deacon will pray for the bread and the cup. The deacons will hand out the bread and cup together. And then when everyone has been served, I will read a passage of scripture and we will eat together. Then I'll read another passage of scripture and we will drink together. If you're watching by live stream this morning, we invite you to use this as a very important time of reflection and meditation. At this time, in a sacred way, we will share the Lord's Supper together.